Welcome to Candid Catholic Convos, a program brought to you by the Catholic Diocese of Harrisburg. Our mission is to humanize the church and help you to grow in your faith, love, and understanding. I'm your host, Rachel Trochet, a cradle Catholic who's only human and struggled with faith on more than one occasion. Each week, you'll hear engaging, down-to-earth interviews and actionable strategies you can implement into your life with ease to help you grow closer to God. If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Candid Catholic Convos. I'm going to keep this super short and sweet today. We are continuing our conversation with Matthew Kinetics, a Diocese of Harrisburg native and who spent the last three years teaching at Ukrainian Catholic University in the country of Ukraine. Please be advised that some of what you're about to listen to may be hard to hear, but we decided to leave this episode largely unedited because of its gravity and the need for awareness. In doing some of my research um, and watching the news, and I, I try to expand what I see because I what a lot of times what we see on the news is directed in one way or another. So I try to expand what it is that I'm reading. Um, and you just hear about all the absolutely heartbreaking and horrifying things that are happening. And we often hear things like, why would God let something like this happen in times of death and destruction? And I always try to remember what Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers would say, which is to look for the helpers when the world is scary and ugly. Where have you been able to find God in all of this? You know, when I read, your, when I read that question in the email, and I was just talking to a deacon friend of mine in Chicago, uh, we studied together and, and we're like brothers. And I, that is a very difficult question to answer because even in my life in the church, I've had some, you know, a lot of discouragement, a lot of, I've been the victim of a lot of jealousy. I've been the victim of a lot of ridicule and slander and, and it's hard, you know? And so a lot of times for me, I try to separate the church as the institution from the church as the people, you know, the literal body of Christ, the people that are doing things. And up until moving to Ukraine, I, I could see God's hand in my life, you know, going from place to place, because any of the, you know, I had a job interview two weeks ago uh, here in, in uh, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, Bereavian Academy, and uh, the history department chair said to me, well, you have a really expensive resume, and you've kind of moved from place to place, you know, what was the reason for that? And, you know, it just happened, you know, and it's kind of like I, I teach my students about life. You know, it, it, you can't control life. It, it's something that, um, it's something that happens. It's like standing in the ocean and the waves are coming in. You can't control the waves. You can't stop the waves from coming. You can't hold the waves. You can't, they just crash into you. You just have to let them crash into you. And that's kind of my mantra for life. Um, and so even ending up in Chicago, I didn't wake up one day and have an epiphany and say, oh, it'll be great to move to Chicago. It just kind of happened. The school that I worked at had emailed me, asked me to apply. I got the job. And like I said, I met Father Myron. Uh, I was very involved in the Ukrainian community there. 
uh, with the Ukrainian Holodomor Society, the, the Kiev Sister Cities. You know, Kiev and Chicago have a, a relationship to Sister Cities. I, I learned a lot more about Ukrainian history and culture there than I would have if I were home uh, here in Pennsylvania. And, and then even with meeting Miron and then moving to Ukraine, I could see God's hand in my life. I could see the fact that I was directed to where I needed to be. And even dealing with what, what, I, what I dealt with and working with what I worked with in Ukraine, I could see that God put me there for a very specific reason. And since the war broke out, I just, the prominent question for me is why? Why? And... You know, for years, I always questioned, I mean, I was baptized, born and baptized and raised Ukrainian Greek Catholic. And I always thought about, you know, just, just going full Orthodox. And I, you know, and I always, there was always this draw to the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church. And I, I guess sort of this is the segue for me to say that the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church has a history of martyrdom, you know, and so... In, in, in the sense in the sense of God as as an essence, he's at the very center of this war because you, the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church in the 20th century was forced underground. Ukrainian Catholic University, where I teach, started as the uh, Lviv Theological Academy in the 1920s, and that was that was forced to close. And, and so the history, Patriarch Yosef Slipe, who was taken to Siberia, actually two days ago was the anniversary, April 11th was the anniversary of when he was taken to Siberia, and then he was freed. And then he started actually the university that I work at in Rome. Uh, after, after he built St. Sophia's Church in Rome, he started Ukrainian Catholic University there. And then our current metropolitan, Boris, is, is fundamentally responsible for the university being what it is now through all of his work, all of his efforts, fundraising, guidance, leadership. And so it, it, it's almost as if, I don't want to say it, it's our mission to stand up for truth, because when we talk about God, it's true. Because the other side of this, too, is the fact that the Moscow Patriarchate, Patriarch Kuryu, is, is fully supportive of this war. And it, it's kind of a touchy subject where... Nobody wants to seek to condemn him. Nobody wants to seek to, you know, basically call him out, you know, for what he's doing. Um, and that, that actually is one of my criticisms of Pope Francis at this point, um, that, you know, because a lot of the moves within, within the church, up to and including the fact that the Orthodox Church of Ukraine is not an established patriarchate, is because of Russia, is because of the Moscow Patriarchate. And so... If, 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 you know, just to answer your question, where do I see God in all of this? It seems to me as if there needs to be a standing for truth. God is truth. God, God is love, first and foremost, or foremost, but God is also truth. You know, I, I kind of see this not from the Ukraine side, but from Ukraine toward Russia as a reckoning of sorts. You know, as people, people are, are comparing Ukrainians now to the modern, you know, Ukraine to the modern Israel, you know, the idea that, I mean, with the exception that we have our land, but this is, this is a centuries old problem. This isn't something that just started on February 24th, 2022. This is a centuries old issue where the Russians keep coming in and they keep 
trying to take what's not theirs. And it, it, it's a persecution. It's a centuries-old persecution. And so um, as a people of God, you know, the Ukrainians steadfast in their faith, steadfast in their, their spirit and their nation are, are working to, to expose truth and to, to bring justice you know, to the world. So I understand you're also, in addition to teaching and being a sort of counselor and friend and everything you possibly can be for your students and your friends over there, that you're also involved in humanitarian efforts. How has your Catholic upbringing influenced your involvement in these efforts? You know, it, it, you know, to me, it's 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 interesting because I, um, it, growing up in the church is always is always a, a strange phenomenon. Um, and as I aged, the more I read, the more I realized it's important to act as opposed to passively. You know, there's that old phrase. Sitting in a church doesn't make you any more a Christian than sitting in a garage makes you a car. And, and and we have it. You know, we just finished the season of the Great Fast. Right now, we're in Great and Holy Week. And, um, you know, one of the biggest things is, oh, I, you know, don't eat meat on Fridays. And, and people sort of set these standards, these rules. And I was one of those people growing up. It's, you know, it's, oh, I can't eat meat on Fridays. It's, you know, these, these, these sort of rules that... Um, I have to go to church on Sundays. And I can honestly say that the way that I was brought up in the church, it, the focus was never on doing good. The focus was never on acting as a Christian. It was always focused on the rules, you know, following the rules. And so, you know, as I went to university and graduate school and, and I did my own reading and my own processing in, in terms of faith and its relationship to my life, and even when I teach catechism, when I do especially adult catechesis, I always emphasize faith and action, the akonia, the, the service. It, it's not enough just to go to church on Sunday. That 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 in, in, in reality, you know, at the risk of sounding like a heretic, going to church on Sunday is irrelevant if you're not going to live the life of a Christian. And so it, it's something that I believe 110% is is all of our callings and lives you know, to be there, to share, to support, to love, to care for one another. And so I wouldn't necessarily say that it's my upbringing in the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church that caused me to do this as much as my own understanding of faith and the importance of, and we talk about following the example of Christ, and it, it's, not, it's not just to sit and listen to gospel stories on a Sunday and say, well, that's nice. You know, but to realize that these gospel lessons aren't things from 2,000 years ago. These are re these. They're speaking to us. We are the people in the gospels. You know, much like we learned, we had flowery Palm Sunday two days ago. You know, when when Christ is welcomed into Jerusalem, and that's us. You know, in our church, we carry the palms and the pussy willows, and when we sing Hosanna in the highest, we raise them just like the people in the gospel did. Because we are those people, you know, through our sins, we are the ones who condemn Christ to death. And so it's a very real, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about just this week, the series of events that we'll experience this week, that they're not stories from 2,000 years ago, they're happening live today. When, when, when Easter comes, Pascha, as we say in our church, 
we say Christ is risen. We don't say Christ was risen, right? Christ is risen as it's happening now. It's happening in real time. And so with that sentiment as, you know, uh, as a Christian, as a Ukrainian Greek Catholic, I feel that it's my duty to, to raise as much awareness, first of all, of the situation that's going on in Ukraine, but also to, you know, to gather as much humanitarian aid. You know, several weeks ago, we built a 26-foot U-Haul, and all it started was with one Facebook post. I put one post out there, I shared it to several pages, that had over 150 shares on Facebook. And so, um, you know, I've collected a couple thousand dollars, which I've sent over. I mean, it's nothing compared to uh, my friend Marco, Father Deacon Marco was telling me they raised about $25,000 over in um, Chicago for humanitarian aid um, to send over to Ukraine. And our church has done a wonderful job. They've raised several hundred thousand dollars to send over for humanitarian aid. But I'm working more locally with people. I'm working more locally with people who are um, uh, asking for money that either they have um, families living with them or they're hosting families. Like one of my former students is in Chernitsi with his father, and they have several houses, and they're housing families on their way to Romania. Um, some of my students and former students, even students that I've never even taught, were hosting families in Lviv. Um, there's another former student of mine uh, who is trying to raise money. He's really active in Boston. They're trying to raise money to get bulletproof vests, night vision goggles, knee pads, so on and so forth for, for the Army. And it's kind of a touchy thing because a lot of these humanitarian causes won't donate money or won't give money toward military causes. And so there's, there's sort of this, you know, fine line distinction as far as that goes. But I mean, it's the community outreach and the response has just been phenomenal. And it, it in, in some ways, it's, I, I sort of go back and forth with my um, using the word loosely, faith in humanity. Uh, but seeing the outpouring of care, the outpouring of generosity of people has really you know, raised my spirits, especially, you know, going back to being in the American context when all these people that I know are are, are just living in fear and you know, sort of doing the day-by-day thing over in Ukraine. And so, um, we know, we're going to continue to do work and we're going to continue to raise funds and collect items because things are desperately needed. I think that's amazing how you have been able to connect with so many people in so many different ways, um, even though you can't physically be there, you're able to send tangible items. What else do your students or colleagues or any of your friends over there need? And how can we help other than continuing to pray? Yeah, I, I, I mean, the biggest thing is spreading awareness. You know, in our faculty meeting last week, we talked about how the West is kind of becoming complacent with the war where um, people, you know, in the, in the early days of the war, people were glued to their television sets, watching it and trying to trying to understand, you know, what's going on. But as the war has gone on, people are, you know, it's just sort of like a normal thing going on now. It's sort of in the background. Um, and even our Metropolitan Boris had said last week that, you know, we can't allow this war to become back burner news. We can't, because it, it, it's live, it's happening. I mean, yesterday there were reports of the Russians using chemical weapons in, in Mariupol. 
And so um, it, it's a very real thing going on each and every day. The biggest thing is the awareness, you know, spreading awareness of the war, trying to get as much military aid as we can for Ukraine right now. Because, you know, as one of my students pointed out, and, and quite poetically, he said, you know, humanitarian aid is great. Money is great. We appreciate it. And they do appreciate it. But he said, it, it, it's kind of like when you have, your sink is clogged, your drain is clogged in your sink and the water's on and the water's spilling all over, out of the sink and onto the floor and you grab a mop and you start mopping the floor. There's always going to be more water going onto the floor. It's instead of attacking the issue, you know, what the issue is, you know, and it's also kind of like putting out, trying to put out a fire by throwing uh, water at the top of the plate, as opposed to the base of the fire, the heart of the fire. Because realistically, as a world, we're going to keep spending money. We're going to keep spending money on humanitarian aid and donating money. And, you know, when, when they blew up the Venezia airport, that was full of humanitarian aid. There, there are so many trucks that the Russians confiscated and looted, you know, they wouldn't allow, you know, humanitarian aid. So, I mean, it's it's um, more about the awareness at this point and, and trying to understand the evil that's going on um, and the fact that Russia needs to be stopped. Because this isn't going to end. Like, okay, so say Putin decides to take his bat and ball and go home to Russia. And, you know, it, it's not as simple as that. The world can't just say, oh, wow, okay, it's over. Because they're always going to come back. And that's the reality. They're always going to come back. And, and, and one of the biggest things is Russia has never, on the world stage, been forced to pay for the atrocities they've committed. And most recently, like I said, Holodomor, 10 to 12 million of people that died. You have Chernobyl. How many millions either died or were long-term affected by the effects of Chernobyl? Uh, now this... You know, they've never, there's never been any kind of reparations. There have never been any kind of trials for war crimes. And so they've never been held accountable for the atrocities that they've committed. And these are all things that we discussed last week in our faculty meeting. And, and because, you know, one of my colleagues is in Germany and she said someone there told her, well, you're being too uh, hysterical or too emotional about this war. Like, you need to kind of get over it. And I get the same thing here, you know, where... People say to me, you know, I've had someone say to me, well, I stopped following you on social media because your posts are just too sad. You know, your posts are just too... And I'm like, this is my... This, this is real life, you know? I get minute-to-minute updates. I have 370 messages in Instagram, and most of them are not Instagram, Telegram, and most of them are, are updates, you know, as to what's going on, where, and everything else. And it's just, you know, even... I had a meeting with one of my former students on Sunday, and... He laughed and he said, you know, he's the last time I laughed like this was when we talked like two weeks ago. You know, he's like, there's nothing to laugh about. There's nothing. And even our conversations are kind of, we start by talking about the situation with the war and then we kind of move to normal topics. But then there's always the backdrop of the war. Either a notification comes up or a siren goes off or whatever it might be. And so it's, it's very, very hard to have a normal existence in these circumstances. And so the more awareness, the more fire that that is brought to the situation, uh, hopefully some type of resolution victory can be faster, you know, if, if the world starts to support uh, Ukraine in even a, in a stronger sense.
Absolutely. My um, my husband is in the army and we like to say that a lot of people, especially when it comes to current events, like to play armchair quarterback. But boots on the ground has a whole different meaning when you have skin in the game. Yes. Um, so I 100% know where you're coming from and can absolutely relate. And that, that's the hard part because, you know, when I did an interview for the Daily Mail, I used the phrase boots on the ground. You know, we need boots on the ground. And, and I was hesitant to say that because somebody that I know here, a very close friend of mine, actually yelled at me for saying that. You know, you can't say that in an interview and that's not, you know. And, you know, kind of as this is worn on, to me, the concept of diplomacy, I mean, Putin's thrown that out the window. Now, the day that he decided, well, I mean, the war has been going on for eight years. I mean, in, in the Donbass, you know, the war has been going on and nobody's really paid too much attention to it. When Putin annexed Crimea, you know, this has been this has been an ongoing thing. But definitely when he when he marched into Ukraine on February 24th, diplomacy was thrown out the window. He lied to the world. You know, thou shall not bear false witness, the Eighth Commandment, right? Mr. Pravoslavny, Mr. Orthodox himself, Putin, he's so religious, right? But he lied to the entire world. Oh, I'm not planning an invasion. I'm just doing special military exercises, you know? And, and for me, you know, for the world to sit idly by while this maniac, while this egoist, this narcissist just does whatever he wants to do, treating Ukraine as his own personal playground, is it, to me, it's unconscionable. It's, it's unconscionable. And that's, in fact, in a lot of my social media posts, I'll say, like, where is the world's conscience? How can you read these stories of, of children, children being raped and killed and shot execution style in Bucha? I mean, in the atrocities, the stories just keep coming out. It, it, it's unbelievable. The, I, I just posted a, a video of a recorded phone call of a Russian soldier to his wife he was asking her permission to rape Ukrainian women. If he came across Ukrainian women, yes, this is what's happening. I posted another recorded phone call of of uh, um, you know Russians. They were um, the soldiers have been stealing. They've been looting and they've been sending items back to Russia, and, and not just simple stuff. We're talking fur coats, TVs, computers, washing machines. I mean, it's unbelievable. So it's not a question as to whether the Russian people are aware of what's happening. There are Russians who are very aware of what's happening, and they're profiting. There's a, there's a lot of profiteering going on with this war, and so it, it's um, it is war. Like I, I you know, and, and I think that's something that even as Christians, you know, when we talk about fighting evil, fighting Satan, fighting the evil one. There's no room for, oh, well, maybe Satan, you know, maybe he needs to understand. There's no understanding when it comes to fighting the evil one. And that's what we're dealing with here with Putin and with Patriarch Kirill. You know, they they are the embodiment of evil in this world. And, and, and my students will even say to me, you know, they'll say, Matthew, is are people in America this ambivalent about Hitler? You know, are people in America this ambivalent about Osama bin Laden? You know, these these are their questions when they don't see the world acting, when they don't see, you know, they don't understand, you know. Or another question they have is, why is it bad to wear a swastika, which which it is, let me just throw it out there, it is bad. But their question is, why is it bad to wear a swastika? And yet nobody talks about the evils of the hammer and the sickle. Nobody talks about... You know, the genocides, everyone's everyone's wrapped up in Hitler, 
But nobody talks about how evil Stalin was. The Hitler, Hitler's like minor leagues compared to what Stalin enacted all throughout Eastern Europe, not just in Ukraine. And, and so these are questions, not from me, but from, from real living Ukrainians who are trying to process why you know the world is kind of allowing them to be sitting ducks. Now, on the other side of that, there is a very steadfast, strong spirit, right, where they, they have the resolve. I mean, Putin's done something that nobody's ever been able to do before. He's united all of Ukraine. I mean, because even when I moved there, there was sort of this East-West distinction. And now everybody, like it's everybody's together. But we're fighting evil, you know, 110%. We're fighting, you know, this this season of the Great Fast, the season of the Great Lent has truly been an eye-opening experience in the very fact that the evil one walks among us. The evil one is present in this world. And we need, again, going back to the concept of fighting for truth, you know, we need to fight that evil. Absolutely. And it's it's so hard to hear what's happening that I can't imagine what it's like for those living through it. So thank you for sharing your candor and for being so open with what's happening because we don't hear a whole lot about it anymore. You, it's like you said, it feels like it's been put on the back burner for Kim Kardashian or something that's not as nearly Will Smith punching Chris Rock in the face. Exactly. You know, that that's the big, you know, I mean, since the invasion, 186 children have died. 344 children were injured. A one and a half years old girl from Mariupol and a 13 year old boy from Kharkiv died as a result of shelling. On the morning of April 12th, a total of 186 children have been dead, 344 injured. Because there were at least 25 girls and women in Bucha that were raped by Russian invaders. The range of their age was 14 to 24. Nine of them became pregnant. Russian rapists told the girls that they will abuse them to such an extent that they would never want to give birth to Ukrainian children in the future. I mean, these are real things that have happened. Ukraine has also identified the Russian military who raped a baby. That was that was revealed by President Volodymyr Zelensky. And so, I mean, it, you know, the, the crimes that are being committed, and it, it's, you know, and every single Ukrainian feels these, you know, feels these these crimes that are are happening because you know first of all there's the senselessness of the evil that's going on and um the atrocities just keep coming you know they keep more and more just gets revealed so i'm kind of going to change the last question a bit you kind of answered it for me already but and i know this is hard to think about because we're you're in the trenches what is your hope for this situation what is your hope to come out on the other side and what are you praying for my hope is that you know this this war is ended sooner rather than later and i know in reading reports especially even reports from england or reports from america it's like people are saying uh, there was an economist that lives in canada that i was reading a report oh this war is going to take a long time um because putin's not going to back down and ukraine's not going to back down so it's going to keep keep going um but but my my hope is that there's a swift resolution because there's a lot of rebuilding that needs to be done. I mean, I've already been told it's going to take at least five years just to clear away the mines and the the shells and the bombs that haven't exploded before they can even begin rebuilding uh, in Ukraine. And so, uh, just just for the future, because honestly, I went to Ukraine with no expectations. I, I didn't know what to what to. See what whatever. 
And what I found there, it, it's been the happiest three years of my life. Um, and I found life there. And as I've told people each and every day, I've experienced a lifetime of, of experiences. I've experienced a lifetime of, of everything. It's just, it's um, because, you know, from my assessment that I've been all over Ukraine, thanks to the generosity of my students and their parents, I've been invited to all these different cities. I've been to Uman, Dnipro, Kiev, Chernobyl, Chmielnitsky, Chernitsy. I've been to Bukovel, which is the big ski resort there. Um, and I'm sure there are other places that, are, that I'm missing, but um, uh, it's just, it, it's been an amazing experience. And everywhere I've gone, you know, there's a genuine, it reminded me of when I was a kid, especially with the older generations. Every time you went to someone's house, it was like Christmas. They put out a huge spread, you know, you'd sit down, you'd have a meal. It was, it was always, you know, there's always this sense of welcoming. There's always this sense of, and it's sincere. It's not contrived. It's not like, oh, I have to entertain this guy. You know, it, they want to know you. They want to, uh, to be with you, to hear about your experiences. They want you to hear their experiences and their lives. And, and so it, it, it has really, you know, been an eye-opening experience for me. And so for me, you know, I, I, I want to go back. I, I really, there's, there's just too much there that needs to be done. You know, and I want to take part in helping to rebuild Ukraine and to put Ukraine back together. And so, you know, my hope is that this ends soon. The world needs to really crimp down on Russia and, and let them know that this is over. Like, there's no more of this. You know, this dream of the great Russian empire is over. You know, it, it's done. Because if this keeps going on, Miroslav Maranovich, who's a vice rector at Ukrainian Catholic University, he was, he's a gulag survivor. And he said, you know, the, the second or third day of the war, we had a seminar, and he said, evil does not stop itself. Evil does not, you know, stop itself. Which is, I mean, in a theological sense, that's why we, we have monasteries, right, where, where people are constantly praying. You know, because the, we always say the world needs prayers. Well, what does the world need prayers for? Protection from the evil one. You know, we can't just say, well, that's it. We don't want to pray, you know, whatever. It's, because then the devil, you know, the world is his playground. And so it's the same thing with what's going on here, where evil evil won't stop itself. And, and the West is delusional. If, if this thing continues, if this war continues, the West is delusional if they think that Putin is going to stop Ukraine. You know, they're already eyeing up, you know, Lithuania, Finland, you know, different places that it, it's, it's scary, you know, to think about what could potentially happen in this situation. So, and that's my biggest hope. And my other hope is that at least people I know and that I care about are safe. I just, because I dread, you know, waking up one morning or, like yesterday, I was on the phone with my aunt when I got all these notifications about chemical weapons being used in Mariupol. But I dread the day I get a text message saying that something happened. Because I was home over Thanksgiving this past year. I came over Thanksgiving, and one of my home parishes had their 100th anniversary. And it was Thanksgiving Day I woke up. And one of the students that, that I knew and was close with, I didn't teach him, but, but I knew him really well died. Um, he had an issue with his brain 
and since birth and nobody knew about it and he had this huge basically aneurysm and he was in a coma and then he died and that was a devastating experience it was devastating to be here and everybody was over there and that i wasn't there um and uh you know it was just this kind of this really surreal thing because it's something you don't expect you know that that to hear you know a student died and i i just dread to hear you know a piece of and to say bad news again is a severe understatement but you know it's i don't know so i just hope and pray that everybody's safe and that there is is a resolution to this but i think the world needs to start getting realistic in regard to that resolution you could talk all you want you could have all these diplomatic whatever's you know but what's real is real and and there are innocent people dying innocent people suffering innocent people being being relocated even yesterday in class the question came up you know well how many ukrainians are actually going to go back to ukraine you know out of the 4 million people that are displaced right now outside of ukraine how many of them are going to go back to ukraine because already they're trying to form lives elsewhere and trying to establish themselves and and do something that that's a very difficult reality to face i've said it a couple times already but i can't i honestly can't imagine i something i can't fathom and i feel deeply for all the ukrainian people currently experiencing something that we've never had to do before yeah. at least in this lifetime well yeah. matthew thank you thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to share some deeply personal and heartbreaking things with us and we obviously will be praying for everyone's safety and would love to keep following up with you to make sure you're okay as well of course of course thank you so much for listening our goal at the diocese of harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey so if this episode resonated with you in any way the easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform you can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org slash D-A-C and clicking the make a donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday.